the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 265. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Bill Bennett. Hey, Bill. Happy New Year. Great to have you back on the show. Yeah, same to you, Paul. Cheers. Well, let's uh, let's jump straight into the the news of the day. There's a little bit to uh, to catch up on, I suppose, but something that's been very topical and creating a lot of discussion in recent days is the communication from Netflix that they are going to start blocking uh, proxy and VPN access to their services. So, for those that want to know exactly what that means, uh, you know, Netflix started out as a US only service, and people from lots of other parts of the world wanted to access Netflix too. Uh, so, they installed various uh, network uh, pieces that would make it appear as though they were in the US. Now, as Netflix and, and other video services uh, as well. Uh, have expanded, uh, there's still been an interest in that. So Netflix launched in New Zealand, but with a much smaller catalogue of content. So viewers really actually just wanted it to appear as though they were in the US so they could see that catalogue, or the UK or other countries, right, Bill? Yeah, and it's a bit like the debate over the global mode we had last year when the um, ISPs were stopped from basically doing exactly that, letting people appear to come from anywhere in the world. Mm. Um, so what's hap- what's happening here? Why why are Netflix saying that they're going to block well, uh, block people? I know they've made you know they made the announcement during uh, CES that uh, Netflix is now global and you can access it from virtually every country in the world with a with a sort of a global service. But um, you know, is there still enough difference between what you get say in their New Zealand content catalog in the US that uh, oh, people yes. should be upset? Oh yes, oh yes, indeed. There's lots of things you can't get in New Zealand and. and for my money, some of the best stuff you can't get in New Zealand. Um, what's going on? I think is when we were talked when we talked about global mode. One of the things I said here on the podcast was that it's really down to the the content producers, the movie studios, and the TV studios, and so on. It's for them to police their rights outside of their home country. If you're Sky TV and you pay Warner Brothers a mozza to have exclusive rights to something, and everyone can get it through Netflix through the back door, so to speak. Well, that's actually, that's the, that's between Sky and the um, the studio. So my guess is it's the studios that have come down hard on Netflix for precisely that reason, that they're struggling now to be able to um, you know, cut up a, a very valuable property, you know, say the latest Warner Brothers movie, and sell that to different markets around the world, which means they can get more because they're selling the same thing you know, many times than, than, rather than one single global transaction in Netflix. Um, my you, guess is, is that it's that pressure that's coming on Netflix to, to fix this. Do you think the studios are in a position where they're saying, look, either clean up your act in terms of people accessing this, or we're going to need to put up the price because actually you're reducing the price of what we can charge people in country, in in other countries and I guess you know it's the competing services such as you know Lightbox and Quickflix and yeah. so, and so on uh, what they're willing to pay because they know so many people are going to access uh, the content by proxy and yeah. so on by yeah that I means the thing is just that the studios can maximise their income by splitting it up that way for sure my guess is that the studios probably they may have even got together. Given Netflix and automation, there is a there is some kind of um, it's not a cartel, but it's some there's some kind of industry organisation where they would have gone to Netflix and given them a pretty good lobbying on this, I would imagine. But the um, 
I've, I've, I'm, and I'm guessing this isn't entirely my guess, but my guess would be that they would say, you know, clean this up, or we will go direct. We will do it ourselves. Um, I, I just know enough about the media to know how these things are likely to play out, and that's that's pretty much my guess. Now, looking at it from a local perspective, here in New Zealand, you know, wouldn't we rather be paying our money to? A local organisation, you know, one of the local providers for a streaming service to deliver all the content we wanted rather than all the money just going straight offshore to, you know, what potentially will become and almost is there now a monopoly. And we eventually get to a point where really your only choice is Netflix for streaming. And as they grow, they can push that price up, double it, triple it, quadruple it, do do whatever they want. Well, if they've got, if they've got sort of the full catalog, the best catalog of global content, plus all the all the content that they're able to produce themselves now, which of course naturally they've got first dibs on, they, they're going to get into a very very strong uh, position oh, yeah. as a, as a company. It's going to, I think, it's going to make it, the choices very limited for consumers if it isn't that way already. But that's the, that's the story of the internet. That's actually what what the internet has done to change everything i mean it's the freer it is the more likely it is to create global monopolies think uber for example um and i think that's the thing is is that when you cut out the middleman what happens is you get global monopolies forming um do i think it's better to have local supplies yeah i think it is but the problem is that you're going to find that you don't get you you're nece- you might not be able to get certain programs that you really want that way the, the and that's the problem um i can't think of a particular show off the top of my head at the moment but there would be shows that i would really you know rather like that don't appear on netflix new zealand um and that's the issue for me i think is that you're just not going to get um you know, you're going to be missing stuff. Mm. I mean, people- Netflix is saying that they're, they're, they're now working very hard on signing those global agreements, yeah. so the content they've got, they've got everywhere. That's not the case yet. And, you know, I, I, you know, I take your point about this as a natural thing to happen in an online world. Um, and, you know, as you say, it's happened in many other circumstances, or certainly a, a, it's very clear in a number of other situations. But... You know, then there are variances like you know eBay, which is is so huge globally, but here in New Zealand we've got Trade Me. Actually, now it appears as though uh, you know we're we're getting uh, burnt in a way because uh, Trade Me are trying to get bigger and bigger returns and, yeah. uh, and keep well, winding up their their fees. Well, so, we're going to uh, talk about that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, perhaps we should move on to that. Now. All right. So, I mean, what are your thoughts? Trade Me have have increased well, their fees, yeah. and and you know it's natural they're a business they want to make some money, but. Uh, um, is this enough to start pushing people to other platforms? I mean, personally, for myself, I use eBay a lot more than I use uh, TradeMe. I buy all sorts of stuff on online that way. I've just stopped using TradeMe. It's just too expensive. It's just not worth my while sending stuff secondhand through TradeMe. And, and that's the thing. TradeMe was a great idea when it came along. It replaced all those newspaper classifieds, all those sort of rather feeble local bulletin board type sales things. Um, extraordinarily efficient and they've just got too greedy and that's and that's really what's happened they're just pushing that one too hard um people are being pushed back in the other direction yeah, aren't but, they in fact i saw a discussion on on geek zone and it, it's quite common on on these forum sites like geek zone and geek zone I mean techie stuff it, it, it very much 
uh, relates to us and you know they've got to buy and sell for them and people will often put something there and they'll say look if it doesn't sell then yeah it's going on trade me but yeah. they'll put it there first with with no fees and away they go well the other thing about trade me is is, is that tra- uh, there's a, a lot of tra- i mean trade me has this impression gives this impression that you get things cheap well you know something often you don't you just don't um i needed to buy a cable a particular type of cable um, the other day and I looked on Trade Me and the best deal I could find was about $49 for a cable um, Dick Smith by the way dear old departed Dick Smith sells them for about 9 bucks. the same cable I found one um, through a local supplier which I bought it arrived in um, in about 36 hours after ordering it cost me $6.48 the cheapest of the same item on Trade Me was $49 well you know, it's not always that great a place to shop. I would say that would probably be an unusual case. I mean, yeah, I yeah, I think that's an extreme case. Their, their, but their quite often, are generally pretty pretty reasonable. But then, no, quite then often you might have five dollars shipping or something. On, yeah, but on quite often I see prices. I mean, they might be RRP, but you know, you go in the shops and not pay RRP for things. Mm-hmm. Typically, tech gear is often more expensive on Trade Me than it is. In retail, and yet retailers have got staff and shops, and you know they've got to pay rent and God knows what. Mm. So there's something, and, and, and part of the problem there is that um, trade me is actually taking too much of a slice. I mean, I think it's is it seven percent now that they're taking from these from these guys. That's actually um, probably pushing it. They're, they're pushing the limits of what's acceptable to a retailer. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um it's a it's a it is a pretty big chunk and uh yeah i can i can understand why people are are a bit up in arms you know yeah. certainly from the seller's perspective but it ultimately will flow on in terms of the price that that uh that people are paying yeah. and uh you know it is very easy to go onto the, you know sites you know i've bought things on online on ebay where you're paying maybe a dollar us for something yeah and that includes free shipping from uh you know hong kong for instance there's, there's, to, there's there's nothing you could probably yeah. buy on Trade Me that uh, would cost you a dollar fifty, including shipping. Most uh, you know most is going to charge you five dollars for the for the shipping. And so. that's back to my point about buying simple things like cables, mm. you know, mm. which you can you can do, get a much better deal elsewhere. Um, yeah, the 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 thing is is that um, you know they'll test the price, and if it does, if if their sales start to fall, I'm sure that the price will come back down again. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, they're uh, they they're doing some, you know, they continue to do some smart stuff at Trade Me, but yeah, also a few missteps. I know recently we did a comparison uh, for uh, advertising employment, and uh, yeah, with within Gorilla, we're obviously employing people uh, on a reasonably regular basis, and there was a while there where we were putting all our advertising through uh, through Trade Me because so many people are on there, you're getting the eyeballs and so on. And uh, we went back to using Seek, and the Seek service is just so much better because it's tweaked for uh, for employment. You pay a lot of money to list a, a job on one of these sites. You know, two two hundred dollars up is pretty uh, uh, pretty typical, and they're getting all these listings. It's just a few clicks, and and uh, away you go. They've made that two hundred dollars now. In the scheme of it, yes, they might only run. I don't know. They might only generate a few million dollars out of. Uh, um, out of the side of the site, but uh, you know, you go into a, a site like Seek, and you think we want to relist. Um, yes, yeah, similar to that role that we actually advertised two years ago, 
and you can go into Seek. It's got all of the stuff. With Trade Me, after 90 days, it, it's gone and yeah. deleted. Yeah, and, I found that too. Uh, it's just a, it's a real time waster. Well, and, I found um, the same when I'm selling off my old tech gear, uh, which I used to do. I mean, I, I, I don't do it because I need the money. I do it because I do, it just offends me to chuck that stuff in a landfill when someone might use it. But it's actually reached a point where it's not worth doing it on Trade Me because it's too much aggro. Um, you don't, you know, you rarely cover your costs. You're expected to act really fast because the uh, customers are quite demanding. It just isn't worth it. I mean, I really feel bad, but some of those things are going back in the landfill, and I wish, I wish there was a better alternative. We don't even have, you know, we don't have e-waste collections anymore in Auckland, so. You know. mm. I mean, it does. It does feel very unpatriotic to be, uh, um, you know, beating up uh, trade me because uh, you know it's great to have a local option, but uh, you know, it, um, yeah, it, but it just it just 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 seems that they're not, um, uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're not as exciting as they once were. Patriotism has a point, you know. That's right. You know, with, with how much of a margin do you want to pay for that? All right, now uh, moving on, autonomous vehicles. There's you know, been bits and pieces of uh, of news uh, this year with uh, with CES happening, and then that was followed by the uh, the Detroit Motor Show. And the latest thing that we hear is the U.S. government um, has announced a four billion dollar self driving car program, and the Department of Transport, um, you know, basically is is putting together a uh, a national blueprint for autonomous vehicles, which they're going to uh, have ready within uh, within the next six months, and they're really wanting to uh, push down this track. This is uh, it's pretty fascinating. That's a that's a big. Uh, a big commitment if they're earmarking four uh, billion dollars of their uh, their next year's uh, uh, budget to uh, to create a program. They're calling it a, a decade long program that will support and accelerate development um, of um, uh, autonomous uh, vehicle technology. Well, the car industry is strategic to the US. I mean, they lost a lot of ground to Japan and and Europe, but it's still very strategic. It's still, a, it's an incredibly important business. A huge employer still. So there's that kind of economic reason. And, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, land of the free, the free enterprise and so on. But, you know, the Americans aren't frightened of subsidizing their industries, um, unlike most of the rest of the English-speaking world who think that's, you know, that's now kind of just something that we're not even allowed to think in terms of. Um, but there's, there, that's in part of it. But it's... Um, um, is it also because they want to spy on the world? So if they've got they've got their cars, they're going to know the location of every uh, vehicle in the world, and uh, there's all sorts of information that's going to be passing through these vehicles. Or uh, you know that that's uh, sort of tinfoil hat type type stuff. Well, but, my tin uh, I'm foil, sure my tinfoil fear is that we're going to have to drive on the right hand side of the road, but, <laughs> um, which, which flip, flip sides like they did in uh, Samoa. Yeah, which well that could cause problems. But um, but seriously. Um, I think it's smart. I, I would I would imagine that there's similar research going on elsewhere. I, I, I should imagine that any car company that isn't um, putting a lot of its resources into this right now, and any big tech company which isn't looking at this, is going to miss the boat. Yeah, it's, there's uh, some pretty interesting discussions to be had around it, and uh, you know, with the with the road toll in, in New Zealand this year not looking so good, I think you know there's probably some. Um, some interesting, you know, points to raise there. We won't dive into them into them now. Actually, I'm having discussion on uh, radio live on on Wednesday uh, morning there on on that topic. But uh, and, it, and it came up in it came up in uh, some of the discussions about the uh, candidates running for um, the mayoral elections in Auckland um, about what 
um, autonomous vehicles would mean for transport. Of course, the problem is, is it doesn't solve the fact that everyone's got to get to work on the motorways within the space of about an hour. At the the same time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think, I mean, there will be all sorts of different vehicles that will come about because they're autonomous. And, you know, we're looking at it now in the light of, you know, the, the types of vehicles that we, you know, we have because we own them and they need to have this much space so they're flexible for all sorts of uh, scenarios. But, you know, we move to shared ownership and uh, a, a broader variety of vehicles, then um, th- there'll be big changes. I think it's a little bit hard to predict what that what that looks like, what that could look like. You know, certainly looking a bit further out, you know, twenty five, thirty years. It depends how intelligent the vehicles get. I mean, it's you know, I, I often think of the scene in um, Forty Towers where uh, Basil Forty gets out and beats the car because he didn't do what he wanted it to. <laughs> Imagine having an argument with an autonomous vehicle that doesn't want it to do what you want it yeah, to. Yeah, a bit like having an argument with Siri today. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's rather one sided. Yeah. I, t- I yeah. tend to I tend to find. Exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, su- such as technology, I'm sure that side of it, and we will get more personality uh, in the technology. Going oh, forward, I certainly no. hope so. No, that's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy <laughs> and the personal personality profiles or whatever. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a bit of a scary side to uh, to all of that too. Um, now, Microsoft have have made some interesting uh, announcements around support policies for uh, for Windows and. I think you know there's there's a few concerns out there. So for those that uh, that that don't know, um, in the past Microsoft have supported uh, Windows. You know, say if we look back on say Windows XP, they've supported that on any new new hardware you can get, even though it's been an old operating system. Now, of course, Windows XP is now uh, end of life from a support version, but uh, support perspective. Uh, but we've got Windows Seven and, and Windows Eight out there, which uh, you know lots and lots of organisations. Uh, around the country and around the world uh, operate, and uh, now Microsoft are really going to uh, to limit how much uh, support they're going to provide of those old operating systems and the newer uh, PCs. Particularly, um, yeah, it's been highlighted the Skylake based PCs. So they, those are the PCs based on the, the the latest or current generation of uh, of chips from uh, from Intel, and uh, they're going to guarantee support um, for uh, Windows 7, Windows 8.1 on those machines only for 18 months up until uh, mid-2017. Um, I, I, normally, in the normal run of things, I would say that's perfectly fair enough. But you know something? There's still something that doesn't feel right about Windows 10 compared with Windows 7. Windows 7 um, works to me. I mean, I'm not saying I dislike Windows 10. I think on a something like a Surface Pro, it makes a huge amount of sense. But you know something? Windows 7 is a real operating system for real work. Um, whereas Windows 10, I, this sounds terrible, but outside of Surface Pro, it feels like a toy. It feel, and, and I can see why business, you know, large corporations wouldn't want to support that um, internally. I like, guess Microsoft are just saying you don't have a choice now. If you want yeah. to run Windows, you, you well, run, run the latest, which yeah, is what a lot see, of other software vendors have you know, have have yeah. moved to in varying but, but ways. But Paul, Paul, this was that was a fine thing for Microsoft to do when Microsoft was on ninety eight percent of all the PCs in the world. That's not the case anymore. No. So, what do you think is going to happen if they enforce this? I mean, a, a number, some of those large organisations are going to take a look at that thing. Okay, well, 
let's go back and have a look at the Apple price book. You know, it's it's a dumb move for Microsoft to be doing this now when they when they're actually losing market share. Um, the time to have done that was when they had a monopoly. You know, if you've got a, monop- a monopoly, abuse it. But don't try and abuse a monopoly when you no longer have one. It's I, I think it's a dumb move. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a very curious move. It's quite different from what we've expected from Microsoft in the yeah. past because they've tended to uh, provide support for very long peri- long periods of time. And that's been something um, they've always been very reliable about. Yeah. You know? I guess on the flip side now, we as users of technology have to accept that security is a much, yeah. much bigger issue than it ever was before. And providing you know, support for those sorts of old operating systems uh, becomes very challenging. It's never going to, you know, the older platforms are never going to be as secure as the others. And if this, if this pushes organizations to work out how to run um, a more modern operating system, then I think there will be good, you know, flow on impact of this from a cybersecurity I, perspective. I, I but I, but I understand that. the discomfort, and there are big organisations. You know, we've talked about some of them before, and I know, you know, we'll have listeners from some of those um, who, who maybe we've called out in the past that have been running very old operating systems yeah. inside. Some of them are technology firms, and, and so I won't mention yeah. any today. No, but, I, I've worked for um, once, but you know, have, um, have done that and. You know, I think it is time that organisations, um, you know, big and small, um, started started keeping up. But yeah, being being forced into an operating system that's not that good, uh, I can understand why people wouldn't want to do that. But I think, yeah, Windows ten, um, well, is I- is doing reasonably well. This I think you know with any new. Operating system, um, it may have a challenge or two. Um, well, I think. Look, I, I, I did some case studies. Um, part of my work involves, involves writing case studies. I did some case studies late last year, and one of the themes that was coming up was medium-sized New Zealand organisations giving staff Chromebooks instead of um, instead of Windows. Mm. And there's definitely a trend to, to that. Yeah. And like I say, that. It would have been fine, Microsoft doing this when they commanded the market. They don't now. That's that's a, that's another very powerful reason to at least look at Apple and look at a Chromebook. Um, if you're sitting in the um, the 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 um, CIO office of one of those large organisations, you think we've got seventeen thousand, you know, XPs or Windows sevens or whatever, and Microsoft wants us to move to ten. Um, oh, let's go and have a look again at that price structure for Chromebook. Oh yeah, well, three hundred dollars a unit plus. Oh, nothing for software. You know, it's it, that's at least going to flip through people's minds. Um, yep, yep, absolutely tempting, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, um, that that's probably uh, enough on that one. I know that yeah, people will, people will have their own uh, own opinions, uh, frustrations, and. Uh, and so on on this one. Um, yeah, another one just related to uh, to Microsoft. Uh, Hololens, um, Microsoft's um, what do, what do we call it, Bill? It's not um, augmented reality. Isn't quite the term. I know there's another term, and I, I always struggle to remember oh. these terms. Uh, but Microsoft's uh, yeah. Hololens, which is the PC that you basically uh, wear on wear on your head, and you and you basically do end up with with a with a level of uh, augmented reality. Well, it's like virtual reality, but. And yeah, yeah. Um, and then some. So, the, but the the uh, the Hololens uh, device we're hearing um, typical sort of battery life is is uh, likely to be in the five and a half hours uh, range. Uh, but depending on what you're doing, maybe 
maybe a lot less could be could be half of that. So um, oh, this this isn't a sort of formal announcement, but one of the Microsoft um, guys sort of shared shared, shared this uh, in an event recently in in Europe, which is interesting. Well, how long do you want to have something sitting in your head for? <laughs> well, I would think it probably would weigh a bit on your neck yeah. from the, the, those sorts of devices that I've worn uh, and tried in the past. And I haven't tried the HoloLens. Um, yeah, have, having it sitting around on your on your neck, yeah, probably isn't going to be something you're going to do for uh, uh, extended periods, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't even hold up an iPad Air for two and a half hours at stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, look, yeah, okay, so... Actually, battery life is is starting to become a major barrier in a lot of technologies at the moment, and um, there's there's a huge amount of work being done with batteries. Um, I was going to if I could be all sort of macabreish and say I'm hourly expecting some big breakthrough to turn up, but you know probably not. Material science moves a lot slower than other sciences. Um, but we're getting faster charging. Yeah, Those sorts of things are. really we, help where you can you know, plug something in and charge it instantly. We get incremental improvements. But I, and I've also noticed that most um, most PC manufacturers, particularly uh, and tablet makers like um, Apple and um, Dell and so on, they tend to bank that um, improvements in battery technology as lower weight rather than um, longer time. And when they do use, when they do have more grunt in their batteries, it's used to power you know, better displays and so on, rather than give you longer time. Mm, mm. Um, now, it was Microsoft's uh, Bruce Harris that revealed this. The other thing that was revealed, which, you know, people have been wondering around is, what's the field of field of view of the hollow lens? Because, I mean, you know, naturally we get a very wide uh, field of view, but trying to sort of augment uh, that. And uh, his comment was that it would be comparable to what you would uh, see if you were... Um, Holding if a if a fifteen inch screen were being held about two feet away from your face, so it's not a super broad field of view in this uh, in this initial uh, version, which they're going to be making available as the Hololens uh, development uh, edition, and uh, those are, those are going on on sale uh, sometime in the next few months, I think, uh, first half of this year uh, for three thousand US dollars. So um, it's uh, it's a sizable investment, but. Uh, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to having a bit of a play around and uh, and trying out the Hololens. Yeah, but it's and me me too. But you know, it's it's like a lot of these technologies. Um, the first version is never great, or it's often not great. Wait for three point one, <laughs> <laughs> the ninety five edition, maybe. Um, now, a couple of couple of gadgets. Um, well, the main one I want to chat about is the bridge keyboard. Now, I hadn't heard of I hadn't heard of this before uh, until um, I, I got a contact locally saying, "Hey, we want to send you uh, one of these to have a look at." Now, this is a keyboard for the iPad, and when I looked at it, it looks very similar to the iPad in terms of build. Yeah. And when you clip your iPad into it. It gives you something that uh, in some ways reminds me of the Surface Book from Microsoft. And it reminds me of when the, when the Surface Pro came out and me thinking, well, I, would, I wish instead of just the, the sort of um, uh, you know, flap cover uh, keyboard that there was something really solid that sort of made it a yeah. bit laptop-like when you wanted and that you could separate it up. 
this keyboard sort of seems to be a bit like that. Now, obviously, because it's not Apple's product, doesn't have the sort of power integration and so on. So you've got to charge it separately, uh, and you know it's it's a it's a little bit weird the way the the clip is. But once you uh, clip it together, and I've been using it just with the uh, uh, the the iPad um, Air, it uh, it makes a, a cool little sort of mini touchscreen uh, iOS laptop. Yeah, I got one too, and it's funny because it makes the iPad Air more like the iPad Pro in use. Yes, um, yes, that's, that's the thing I found when I when I put it on. Um, it's very laptop like. I mean, it's much more so. I mean, I used the I, until I um, sent one of these. I was using the Logitech um, keyboard, which, by the way, is lovely for typing on. And, yes, and so yeah, on, and, I, and I really like it. Um, this one, it's. Kind of does it, it achieves the same things, but does it in a different way, and it makes it feel so much more like a laptop than the. And it feels super premium, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, and um, one of the things I noticed in the marketing, they tell you that you end up with a a laptop which is lighter than the 11 inch MacBook Air, which it's noticeable. It's it is light and so on. Um, I don't know. It's, it's it's strange, isn't it? How when tablets first came along, there was they were this different class of computer and since ever since the first tablets appeared they've becoming more and more like these hybrid laptop things um there's definitely a the 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 two they've gone past the collision course i mean they've they've pretty much become one thing now you can either have an ios laptop or a um, um, os x laptop if you're in the um apple camp yes yeah that's Um, that's true um, and so they're, they're doing these, uh, they're two, $200. So um, they're, they're similar sort of price yeah. to, you know, varying other um, of the higher end covers and, you know, what we see in terms of the uh, uh, keyboard for the Surface uh, Surface. Well, I was going to put so it out there that this is, this is a nice product for the, Mac, for the, sorry, for the iPad Air. But my word, I'd like to see one of these on a Surface Pro. Interesting, interesting, because that was, I mean, that was what I was always looking for with the Surface Pro until they announced the Surface Book. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, I'm curious. And I haven't seen if they've got one um, for the iPad Pro. They could, oh, there's they, one coming. They, okay, I, I, yeah, so there's a next level they yeah. could go to if they yeah. tied in with that integration, well, think, and, and it may be proprietary from Apple, but being able to uh, connect into that that connection um, on um, on the iPad Pro that yeah. would allow the the power and so on to uh, to uh, travel travel through. It's out in the US, and the uh, the guy from uh, Bridge was talking to me today and said that that's coming like in the next couple of weeks into New Zealand. Okay, oh, great, yeah. that's good, um, and. Skinny mobile broadband. Now, we talked about this uh, late last year when, when, when we heard it was announced. Um, you know, Basically, this is a service. You buy what looks like a pretty standard uh, router that you would have in your home to uh, connect in your, uh, your, your DSL. Well, a standard cheap-looking router. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just you yeah. know, but a, ba- a basic yeah. router that yeah. you might plug in to get your, uh, to your, yeah. you know, your ADSL or UFB, etc., um, $199, but this has a SIM card uh, slot in it, and it comes comes with a SIM card. You pay that $200 up front, uh, and then uh, it gives you access instead of to an ADSL, VDSL, or, or uh, fiber, ultra-fast broadband internet, 
Uh, it's all carried over the mobile network, over 4G LTE on uh, on Spark's network. Now, Bill, you've had a little bit of a play with uh, one s- of these. I've tried one of uh, one of Spark's um, general ones. That's under the Spark branded one. Not, I haven't tried the uh, uh, the skinny one yet, but I think it's it's a very comparable product, just a slightly different service. But uh, what was your experience? Well, it's well, first of all, it's it's pretty much what people that are getting the RBI rural broadband are using it's it's more or less the same experience as they will see um, my experience was it was incredibly simple to get going I, I mean within 20 minutes of the courier arriving i was online um speed disappointing but that's because i'm not in a great spot for 4g reception in fact my phone at home is on the 3g network so i switch out of 4g to 3g when i'm in the house and these are locked onto 4G, aren't yeah, they, if I, I recall correctly? I think so, so if it's yeah. not working on 4G, it won't work at all. Yeah, but, well, it, I, I, get, I'm, I was getting about 18, 19, maybe 20 megabits per second. Well, that, that's, that's faster than your average ADSL. Mauricio in Wellington was getting 40 plus. Um, and, that, yeah, that's what I've seen, yeah. depending on location. So I've seen sort of in that 20 to 40, maybe even 50 um, type range for yeah. uh, for, for, but, for downloads, not know, not so fast. Up. Twenty is better than ADSL, um, not as good as VDSL in mm. most cases. Mm. So it's not a bad. I mean, and you know, remember, kids, that the fiber starts at thirty. So it's not, you know, if you're not too it, many people are probably buying it. No, at, at know, thirty, it's usually a starting at a hundred. Yeah, up from there, you can buy thirty still. Yes, but the thing is, is um, the 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 really. The really important thing about it, I mean, we can talk about the performance and so on. There, there are some issues. That little router is um, its a bit old, actually. It doesn't have um, – it has um, Wi-Fi N, 802.11N, but not the AC version, which, um, you know, my router does. Now, was, this, was it the Huawei one that they yeah, were distributing? Yeah, I yeah. think that's probably the same as the one that Spark offer yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah it is Huawei. It's a, it's, um, and it's the Bolt thing, the uh, broadband over LTE product. Um, Performance-wise, it's, it's not bad, actually. I mean, even, even in, a, in, a, in a hole, I was getting um, pretty good signal. Um, Sunday morning, I sat and watched the Premier League on my iPad, you streaming on it and didn't miss a beat so and in fact if it had missed a beat i would have thrown the thing out the window so, <laughs> so i'm not very tolerant of that being um uh, uh, interfered with um so it was it was fabulous for that purpose um and performance wise it's great but the real thing that gets me is the price the price comes in at 55 bucks a month. i mean i know you've got to pay the 200 up front but if if you spread that out over say um, a couple of years, you know you're really still only paying, I don't know, sixty two, sixty three a month for sixty gigabytes of data. So, yes, is it sixty gigs? I think of data. Yeah, yeah. sixty gigs yeah. worth of data they give you a month. The first month is free. Yeah. Uh, so that in in some ways bring, you know, brings down the, brings the, down the cost, cost, the cost yeah. of the device. Now the big change from when we talked about this last time. And a few other people may have tried this. If you put in your address when at launch, when we put in the address here at the office and varying addresses around, uh, home addresses that I put in and so on, I think out of a bunch that I put in, only one came up as being available to provide service. Now, when I try that now, those limitations are, are much reduced. So um, I might just try it now for our, if I can uh, find the right bit on their website. Um, 
I'm, but I'm pretty sure if I put in our address uh, here, let's see, in Auckland Central, let's see what it does. Oh, no, I'm wrong. Unfortunately, coverage is not at your place at the moment. So uh, we're we're in you know Newton and Auckland. We generally get pretty good uh, pretty good coverage uh, here. But I certainly have found with other addresses that were previously not listed as getting service that they were able to get service. My my guess is that Newton might be um, high demand for four G. Right. So they yeah. they don't they don't want the, to uh, impact the performance there. for all their users. Yeah. How many how many cars of four G are going down that motorway right there? Yeah. Right now. Well, it's at sometimes um, it looks like a car park yeah. out there. Yeah. So uh, I, I there's mean, probably a lot of people wanting to use yeah. that service. I mean, that's that's purely a guess, but I would say that that's that's probably a limitation. Um, no, the thing about the price pool is that doesn't go through the copper network doesn't go through ufb so there's no regulated wholesale fee um skinny gets the whole 55 dollars. it's not 40 bucks or 42 bucks or whatever going to chorus or enable or um well or they slice and dice it up between the different uh, divisions of spark but uh, i'm sure they still come that's off, not uh, the doing point okay the, po- the yeah. point yeah. is that spark keeps captures the whole 55 dollars. now the thing is good is point right so the, the, on a standard fiber plant spark captures about 55 dollars so so, and Spark already, you know, have the lion's share of the you know internet service provider yeah. market in New Zealand as it is. Uh, this is something. If Vodafone, you know, choose not to compete in this space, oh, are you um, kidding? Vodafone, Vodafone <laughs> will compete in this space. Well. If if they didn't, this would certainly help them bump up their uh, their share a whole lot more. And because they're doing it under their their skinny brand, it's you know differentiated from their uh, from their other uh, well, products. So I, I, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how quick it will be until we see something else uh, where the two degrees are going to jump in on this and whether it will impact the you know or or how much it might impact average performance. On Spark's network, well, because of course, with a normal yeah. connection, uh, you know, most people are limited to you know one to six you know gigs worth of data a month off their mobile device. Now we're dropping in uh, a unit that's going to use ten times that. Now we yeah, don't want our, our network wait, to wait, become wait, 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 US speeds. Wait, 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 wait. It's the it's the fact that it's fixed that does that. Because look, okay, you see a tower over. I mean, there's not a tower over there, but I'm I'm saying to you, listening to this. Imagine there's a tower that you can see in the distance, and there are so many antennae on that tower. Right, the the guys that are that are provisioning this, they will know that that particular antennae on that tower has five or six or whatever skinny broadband customers. So they can say, okay, well, we're just going to tune that antennae to make sure that those guys are getting their, you know, their sixty gigs a month of data. It's not hard for a mobile operator to do that with their. Um, and turn on something. It's not a. It's, it, I mean, there are some technical challenges, but it's. But, but if we look at the US, where there are you know a lot more people connecting. Yeah. This is my pick anyway. A lot more people connecting to each cell site. Their speed is much lower. You know, it was last yeah. year that we were but, rated as being the fastest in yeah, the world but, for four G performance. But 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 that's because we've got a small population, right? And we're quite. I but mean, this messes with that. Sorry, this messes with that no, a little bit. No, no, it doesn't. It, that's that's the point. It doesn't. It's it's. Um, it's perfect for New Zealand because because we the capacity is there, and you've got to remember right that the the speeds that you're getting on four G at the moment are only the start. The um, when I was when I was in China with Huawei, they were talking then about within a couple of years having five hundred 
megabits per second on um, on four. It's going to be four G plus or whatever, but it'll be some interim technology, and it's going to be a um, it's going to be a thousand when we move to five G in about twenty twenty. That's only four years away. It's the 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 capacity isn't the issue you can you can you can put that's not dedicated per user though i mean you don't end up getting those in real in real world no 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 you no of course not and you do and you do share speeds uh, but but your the the thing is is that the performance is there on on the wireless thing i mean in a sense this is this is a replay of the argument about whether you need a fiber network in the first place and i don't want to go there because there's reasons why you do but the thing is is that wireless the potential of wireless, we're only just beginning to see it. I mean, the thing is that Spark, um, Vodafone, and Two Degrees own roughly spectrum in roughly the ratio of three for Vodafone, two for Spark, and one for Two Degrees, in more or less. But that's only some of the spectrum that's available. Other people have spectrum. There's actually a lot of spectrum, and a lot of spectrum doesn't get used a lot of time. The thing about running a mobile network is you need to provision. For, for lots of phones running around it's like it's like the amb- uh, the ambulance service or the fire brigade you need to have one more fire engine than the number of fires in your town you need to have one more ambulance than the num- like number of accidents to cover cover it off so you need a lot of unused capacity on a mobile network to cope with mobile phones driving around all over town and so on when it's fixed you don't you know you can dedicate spectrum to that fixed receiver or or yeah, you know, or to a degree you can. You can actually, you know, leave someone aside. It's not that hard. Um this is this is an ideal product for New Zealand. Good. Well um I mean there are there are a whole lot of use cases where this will be super helpful. And I know somebody that's uh, that's just utilized one of these. They set it up initially in, in their home. In fact they went with the the Spark version, uh, I think probably the RBI product, but they installed it. In uh, in residential Auckland initially to try it out, and then they took it to the uh, the remote location, and there were no issues. So I'm sure there'll be a few people that'll be dabbling around with how to be naughty with these supposedly being at a fixed location. I don't know uh, whether Spark and uh, and Skinny uh, have have entirely got the the technology, and they'll be locking that down uh, yet. Uh, I imagine they will in the future, but to start yeah. with, people might be uh, might be taking advantage uh, and and moving uh, these around a bit. I'm I sure. Su- I suspect you're right, yeah. but um. I, I also and the other thing the other thing I should mention though is that it's incredibly sensitive on position because I by just by chance I pretty much got the right position the first time and I set it down on the windowsill and uh, I tried moving it around trying to see if I could get better speeds and I just couldn't and then I don't know a few hours in um, the family's cat knocked the thing and it only knocked it about <laughs> you know. 100 millimeters to the side maybe 150 millimeters from where it was and just to change the orientation slightly and the speed dropped five megabits per second so um you know it's extremely sensitive to position yeah the cat might have been giving off some interference well there, there's uh, that, yeah <laughs> the cat, yeah the cat got himself between the um the modem and the um Antennae, the tower, yeah. Yeah, 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 got fried. Okay, well, um, no, fascinating fascinating discussion. Thank you for that, Bill. It's It's been fun. Um, great to have you back on uh, for the new year, and we'll be looking forward to a lot more chats through the year. Now, for those that are interested in keeping up with uh, with your reporting and the bits and pieces that you're doing? Oh, I'm doing, I've been doing some innovation stories for the Herald over the summer. Um, there should be more of that later this year, um, fingers crossed. Um, I'm 
I mean, you'll find me in uh, New Zealand business. There's uh, my stuff is on my own website, not on Geek Zone. Um, often on Scoop as well. It's it's everywhere. I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and on Twitter at that's, Bill Bennett NZ. Right, yep, that's me. Yeah. Yep. Excellent, good. All right, well, uh, those wanting to uh, track me down, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Paul Spain. Um, definitely jump on our, uh, our nztechpodcast.com uh, website to uh, uh, sign up for, for updates. Uh, we'd love it if you would give us a review on, uh, on iTunes. If you go anywhere near iTunes or if you've got an iPhone, you can go in there and uh, uh, review the show that's always uh, always helpful um, or if you uh, you know other people that uh, maybe aren't listening in yet um, help spread the word that would be uh, be appreciated uh, and the other thing we've got coming up is the Asia Pacific podcast conference now as you're listening to this uh, that probably suggests you're a bit of a fan of podcasts but uh, depending on where you work it might be that um, You've got bloggers and people involved in uh, PR and, and digital media and other things that uh, really should be up with the play on podcast too. Um, if you have any of those people within your organisation, um, then we would appreciate it if you would uh, um, share with them the details of the Asia Pacific Podcast Conference. And uh, you know we've got people coming from all segments of the, I guess, the communications world in New Zealand that are coming along, uh, and not just New Zealand, of course, from overseas as well. Uh, but from from our uh, broadcasters such as MediaWorks and uh, Radio New Zealand, uh, and uh, yeah, varying organisations and individuals. So uh, if you could help us spreading the word about that, uh, the details are at asiapacificpodcastconference.com dot com, and you'll see the lineup of speakers and uh, and the program there as well. That's coming up on the twelfth uh, and thirteenth of February. Well, hey, thanks everyone uh, for joining us again and listening in this week. We will catch you back uh, next week with a whole lot more uh, interesting discussion and uh, and some some new topics. And um, yeah, until then, thanks very much. See you soon. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.